This is Femmes Like Us. I'm Stevie. And I'm Mariah. And today we're going to share an interview with our friend Anna Allen. Sometimes we will call her Elsa to differentiate from another interviewee and also because that's part of her stage name. And one of the things that we really loved about getting the chance to sit down and talk with her is her very um, with age comes wisdom attitude about what it means to be a queer person. And you'll hear her talk a lot about how she felt when she was younger and what a femme identity meant to her then compared to what it means now. And we thought that was really interesting and valuable to share that, you know, your identity changes over time. And that that's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I really picked up on in this interview was the sense that femme erasure is a thing or maybe a thing that uh, affects you only if you are really wanting to be read as queer in a certain context and then are denied that. So if you're not really caring whether people understand your queer identity, your identity isn't really being erased if you're not seen that way. And that's a nuance to the conversation that I hadn't thought about. So take a listen, and uh, we'll be back with some further thoughts. All right, so we're chatting today with Anna Allen, who is also sometimes known as the burlesque performer Elsa von Schmaltz and her cousin, Ernie von Schmaltz. So, uh, Anna, would you please tell us uh, your pronouns and how you identify with the term femme? Yes, uh, gladly. So pronouns for me are she, hers. Um, How I identify with femme, I've always felt like a feminine human in my body. It wasn't always something I was completely comfortable embracing, but especially uh, for me with age has come more wisdom and more comfort in that. And so I have an outwardly femme appearance with long hair and a curvy body that I enjoy dressing. And so for me, that's a comfortable fit. So today we're talking about femme erasure in queer communities. And I think let's just jump right in. What is femme erasure and how has it played out in your own life? Hmm. So I've been thinking about this um, in anticipation of this podcast. And I feel like femme erasure is because the idea culturally, and I'm st- and I'm speaking not specifically queer culture, but just just our collective culture in general. I feel like the appearance of someone who is feminine and also visually female bodied is what is expected to be the norm of what you see, and so when you start thinking about subcultures like queer culture. It's it's sort of like it's easy to pass over that visual recognition because in the greater culture, it's something that is expected to sort of be the norm. Women are feminine. Our packaging for our stuff is pink. Um, you know, um, a big piece of queer culture, especially as it has become more acceptable to be a queer human is is having something that stands out a little bit visually is having maybe a certain haircut or a manicure that is real short or keys on the left like that's very old school but like 
things that are signals visually to to tell other queer people in the greater cultural space, hey, I'm one of you and I'm part of this thing. And I feel like because femininity as a visual expression is expected to be what women do in huge air quotes, that's harder to see in queer culture. Unless you're wearing a sign sometimes <laughs> or sometimes even a sign doesn't get read. Sometimes you can wear the shirt to the grocery store that says gay, gay, gay <laughs> with arrows pointing to your face and people, oh, that's a great joke shirt. You know, you're like, no, no, you're not, you're not, you're not getting like, it. It does not mean that I'm happy. That's, that's, that's not what I mean. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. actually really trying to hit on you and you're not getting it, but maybe yes, it's have okay. A, do you have a place for that shirt? <laughs> <laughs> that shirt's since been retired. It's actually a fictitious shirt that I never once owned. But it was a, it was a, it was actually something that I heard from um, a Suzanne Westenhofer stand-up piece a long, long time ago because she was at that time identifying very femme and very much like she, her piece in the stand-up was like I can wear a shirt to the grocery store that says huge lesbian and no one will believe me because I'm a really tall pretty blonde woman with long hair. And it was like, yep, that's about it. Yeah, has that played out in your life in any way? Are there, are there times where you? feel like your femme identity has prevented you from being read as a queer person? I'm sure that it has. I am not, I guess the older I get also the less I care if someone's really getting it <laughs> visually. Cause if, if it, if it's someone I'm wanting to connect to or, or that I'm eventually going to have a conversation with, it's going to be like, oh yeah, this is, this is part of my life. This is who I am. We're going to talk about it. I think, I think definitely when I was younger and still figuring out who I was in the queer spectrum, on the queer spectrum, and also really wanting to be seen more, that was much more important to me. And I definitely felt like people didn't the more femme appearing I became. So as I like, cause I used to have super, super short hair and it was all kinds of colors and I used to wear things that didn't cling as much and the up and down stripes and, you know, kind of the, the nineties Seattle lesbian uniform. I was, I owned those things, still own some of those things. Um, but I think it was harder to be read visibly as a queer person. The more I looked conventionally feminine that's and, and I, I again use those words in large air quotes because this is an audio format this is interesting what you're talking about of like the there's sort of a utility of being visually read as queer yes to find your other queer people yes and it also sounds like that is feeling less relevant in your life and so I guess I'm wondering, has the change been because you've gotten older and more comfortable in yourself? Or do you think that something has changed in the culture that has made things hmm. work differently? Great question. Um, I think both. I think, I think three things. I think for me, just getting older and being more comfortable with myself as a person, knowing myself more, caring what others think less has definitely happened, which is like, woohoo, <laughs> yay. Um, I also think the queer culture has changed. I think so... I've been watching a lot of the L word lately. Oh, yeah. Which is Are you prepping for the revival. <laughs> I, I I never saw the first one. What? So yeah, I know. Surprise oh, wow. faces. I know. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I really need to 
know what this is. And it's funny watching it because my first thing was like, everyone is femme on this freaking show. <laughs> and then there's like, what's her name? Shane, oh, Shane. who's kind of, but she's a femi acceptable version yeah. of gay. She's like anyway. an androgynous. Yeah. She's like an yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. But I think like, and I'm not at all attributing necessarily the show to making it because like my first thought was, well, where are all the butches? What happened here? Where did, where I know that they're here. We're just not seeing them. Um, but I think overall the concept of dichotomy of butch femme is really, you know, we're, we're just changing and it's not bad or good. I just think queer culture is feeling to me broader and feeling more, uh, inclusive and more, there are more ranges, I guess, is what I, is what I'm feeling. And then third, honestly, burlesque was a big part of me feeling okay with embracing a very femme, uh, presentation. At first, maybe it might have been more about, oh, I will present this way only on stage. But as I did it more, it became more apparent to me, like, oh, I actually feel really good in this stuff. I actually really want to wear fluffy, floofy things on at times. And, and you know, um, that feels authentic to me. Can I ask how your mm. other stage persona <laughs> plays into this dichotomy of femme and butch, or how the existence of Ernie von Schmaltz contributes to the existence of Elsa von Schmaltz? Like, how do you see those things as related? And perhaps maybe you could begin by telling our listeners what you see as the difference between your two onstage personas. Sure. We'll start, we'll start there. So Elsa von Schmaltz is really very much an extension of me as a person living in the world, but she's a little louder. She's a little more colorful. She's got a lot of sixties clothing, a lot of caftans, a lot of weirdo beehivey things, um, a really extensively fun shoe collection and and yeah and and she's very just effervescent and bubbly and upbeat um i would say ernie is definitely wasn't necessarily crafted to be an opposite of that but that's just sort of how it's turned out um ernie is a very is a is a consistently male presenting sort of drag ish drag king ish character porno stash sideburns shellacked hair in a nice helmety pompadour shape, lots of body hair, chest hair, butt hair, etc. Sort of portly in the center, um, which wasn't at all a body statement. It was just about how do I mask what I physically have in a way that feels comfortable and authentic to the character of Ernie. And Ernie's very, Ernie's just all man all the time, that if you asked him, that's what he would say. I feel sometimes like like, I love that I get to be Ernie and move in traditional boy spaces or man spaces. Like, we just did the Boylesque Festival, and I was one of the only women in that festival. I think maybe there were four of us total, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and that's traditionally been the case with stuff like that. I think it's interesting because I get hired to be Ernie differently than I get hired to be Elsa. And I think part of it is just the novelty of, oh, female-bodied person playing male-bodied, male-presenting person on stage. Um, But I do, as I become more comfortable with identifying and just embracing the word femme for myself, I do find myself really needing more breaks from Ernie. I'm like, okay, Ernie, put your mustache back in the box. Like... (laughs) I need some some lady lady fun time and I really wanna and I want to be seen that way. Like I want the audiences, whether they're making the connection that those characters are the same 
I, I, I care less about that anymore too. But for me as a person living in the world, I want to be seen that way. And I want people to recognize, oh, she can also be this and she is also this. And so it's been interesting. And now as I've kind of worked on that balance, it has kind of evened out quite a bit. I, I get almost now as much Elsa work as Ernie work, I suppose. And I feel really lucky for that because it's, it makes it interesting for me and it makes it feel like, oh, both sides of expression are valid for me in this art form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that feels good as when I'm off stage. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say um, <laughs> your desire to shift and be seen as Elsa mm-hmm. in contrast to the way that you seemingly give no fucks about whether people recognize <laughs> if you're femme or not in the world, right? Yeah. So that there's still, in what I'm hearing there, there still is one space where you're like, please accept this. So yes. why is burlesque that space for you, do you think? I think it's that space for me because... I came to burlesque from a theater background, different types of theater, and typically you always have a director, which is great. Like, you need direction. Burlesque was one of the first things I found where that wasn't necessarily the case, that you're encouraged to make your own vision, that your vision is valid, and that your voice is unique. And putting that on stage, if done well, hopefully, knock on surface, um, it is 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 good, and as long as you're doing that, there's there's room for you, and that's and I believe that, and so um, finding an outlet to grow into that, it seemed to fit with what burlesque is because burlesque is very much, um, I've heard it referred to as. Um, you know, cis women drag queen hour, basically, um, which I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like that's, there's not a ton of room in there for everybody else, but it's also a way to, you know, if you're looking at drag queen culture versus burlesque culture, I think those two things, you can, you can see the parallels um, pretty easily with femininity, especially. That might be why a lot of the people we are talking to <laughs> end up being folks <laughs> that we know through the burlesque scene. Mm-hmm. So I was moving on to our last question mm-hmm. because I feel like we're kind of moving in that direction, mm-hmm. which is about the difference between passing as straight mm-hmm. versus not being read as queer just because you're being who you are. Mm-hmm. And whether there is a difference there or whether mm-hmm. that's something that you have thought about in these various contexts. Mm-hmm. There's so much in that one. Um, <laughs> I feel like for me, a lot of it is contextual depending on where I am and what I'm doing. So if I'm at uh, work, for example, if I'm, so I'm a massage therapist and if I'm doing massage at uh, an on-site job that might be corporate, that's not my, my focus of being there is like, oh, if you read me as queer, great, but I have a lot of other stuff to concentrate on. (laughs) That's, that's, if I'm at a show you know, either in the audience or, you know, doing anything that's of a more social context, I would say I definitely am more maybe interested in being seen as queer. Um, now that I'm married to a woman, that helps a lot because <laughs> I introduce, hey, my wife, this is my wife. And even even when people are in any conversation just talking about their spouses, as everyone does casually, it's been I, like this last year has been a real learning curve for me to just be like, oh, yeah, my wife and I, my wife and I and people either they just hear it and they know they knew already or they kind of have a blinking moment and they're like, hmm. and then they just whatever they think is what they think. And we move on in the conversation. 
Am I getting toward an answer on this? I'm feeling like I'm circling around a well, concept because this I is can, a very... If I can drop yes, something in, you and yes. I have talked about the difference between your experience of being a queer person in the world and mm-hmm. your wife's experience, yes. who, you know, you can describe her. Yes, yes, but, yes. Um, I think that that is part of, you know, the, the difference between being somebody who might be able to move in straight spaces yes. without having the eyebrows raised yes. versus somebody who can't. Yes. Maybe you can just kind of talk about that. Yeah. I don't appear gay whatever that means but like I don't have a lot of signals externally (laughs) uh that you might see if you if you have an untrained eye which I don't believe you know most people don't like it's not part of your culture why would you know about it um my wife on the other hand is more of a masculine identified human she's got short hair she doesn't wear makeup she doesn't wear earrings um she really gravitates towards men's clothing and and crisp lines and that's one of the things i just love about her that i'm super attracted to and it's also for her makes it not optional to be seen and so wherever whatever environment she's in pretty instantly either people think she's a man or they think she's a gay woman and more often than not, it's it's the bathroom time that's like when we when we when we're when we're in airport bathrooms is where I see the most eyebrow raising in that department, which is which is weird and interesting to witness and is perhaps another subject for another podcast. But I I it's it's been it's been interesting to be with someone and really realize most people don't see us as a couple. Because I am not reading as queer until we say, oh, hi, this is, we're a thing, you know, or if people see us like holding hands or arms or kissing or whatever, then it's like, oh, they must be together. But it's like we had the cable guys over a while ago and they're like, are you guys sisters? And we're like, you guys are so not getting it. (laughs) Nope, we're not. We're not sisters. Try again. We're just like, we'll just, if you want to play this game with us at our house, great. Yeah, it, it is interesting and it is interesting to go somewhere, which I haven't done this in a while, but to go into a, quote, queer space, like a gay nightclub dance or, you know, going to Hot Flash, let's pretend. Um, and I don't know that people, like, if I were there by myself, I don't know if people would be reading me as queer necessarily, unless I had the giant T-shirt on. And that, But even then, you know, we're kind of circling back to that. Um, I'm not sure if that answers the question or gets to it, but that's... I'm not sure that there's an answer. Yeah, I yeah. Think those, I think like, it's a discussion point for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that we've talked about with some folks about the difference between erasure and passing mm. is the question of whether, oh, which is intentional, right? Mm. So, like, mm-hmm. erasure is something that seems to be done to you. Yeah, this is the definition yeah. that we were giving. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is that erasure seems to be something that's done to you, whereas passing mm-hmm. is something you could choose. Sometimes people mm. don't choose to pass, mm-hmm. right? They do, mm-hmm. and, and they might not have control over that. Mm-hmm. But you can also choose to do it strategically. And here in Seattle, you don't really need to do that. There's yeah, like no social utility to passing in mm-hmm. the city but in other parts of the country or other parts of the world for sure that um being erased could also loop into being able to pass and so mm-hmm. what i what i hear you saying right is that your wife doesn't have much of a choice um, in her ability to pass and therefore also her ability to be erased like she's 
that's just not going to happen mm-hmm. because of the way that she visually signifies. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, you're like, well, I'm not choosing yeah. to pass. That's yeah. I, but I also don't care because of where I am socially in the world. Yeah. I'm secure in my relationship and secure in my identity. Mm-hmm. So I just don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for younger folks, the, that question maybe means a lot more. Oh, sure. Right? For sure. And I would say I wouldn't, I would actually subtract one of the things you just said. Okay. I, I don't not give a shit. I do because I also see the younger, and I'm glad you're bringing that up. I see people that are newly queer in their identity in whatever way they are and what a big deal that is. And I know it's a big deal because I've gone through that work myself to figure out what is, who am I in this and what do I, what, who do I need to be authentically for myself? And so, you know, it's less, it's, it's less of a thing I care about socially because I've, I've kind of done the work and I kind of don't feel, I don't know, that, that part of my identity struggle slash figuring it out is I've kind of done that. So, okay. But I also feel if you're in that space of where do I fit? Am I seen? You know, because we all, I believe we all want to be seen for who we are. That's a, and that's a big piece, I think, too, of burlesque, actually, is seeing yourself on stage in whatever form that is. Um, but if you're at that point in your life where you're like, I am this person, I feel this, I feel like this label might be me or this combo of labels, that's just a tender time. And so, I don't know, I guess I just want to make, make it clear that I don't, I don't not care about that. I I do deeply. I just don't, I'm not there anymore for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't pay as close of attention to that anymore because that's just not where I'm at, I guess. I don't know. I think that's great. And, and one of the reasons why we've chosen some of our interviewees, right, is that we, we do want to have a range of ideas from various um, age groups within Mm -hmm. queer culture, especially Mm -hmm. as we see the conversation changing in some of our, Mm -hmm. um, not that I would put you in this group because you are my contemporary, but um, older queer women getting left out of the conversation. Yeah, right? for sure. So, yeah. Um, and and we wanted to make sure that we kind of understood the the like range of how mm-hmm. this term has been utilized and evolved for a lot of different people. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it means, it means different things to different yeah. folks. And yeah. That's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I know a lot of folks that are in like maybe one or even two generations ahead of me who defined, you know, and I'm not trying to speak for them, but like who, uh, it seemed like a lot of definition of femme was about butch. So it was a, it was about a dichotomy and about how you can't have one without the other. And if you're butch, then you must date femmes. And if you're femme, you must date butches. And that's just, we know that's all not true. But it's interesting because I know, I still know people who will really debate like, oh, well, they're femme and they're butch. And it's like, well, why does there have to just be two? Why can't there be 15 or what, you know, whatever number there needs to be? And I think that's interesting. So I'd be curious to see who you're able to connect with um, more about that concept or that concept of femme being defined by other things uh, in relation to it versus what the person's saying they are. <laughs> We've had a wide variety of answers on that question. I bet. So. That's interesting. <laughs> That's exactly cool. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, we've covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, awesome. there's a lot in there. I want to circle back and okay. see if you thought of a femme icon that you would like to share. Mm. I haven't. I I can't 
I can't really think of any one person that really resonates with me that way. I, I take bits and pieces of people and I, I think the people that are visible women in our culture that I enjoy the most are always changing. So I would put like Madonna is one of those people who's done a whole lot of range of different presentations depending on her marketing strategy and, and what album she's selling. But also I believe she has that artistic drive in her to be different things. So I guess I, if I have to pick someone, I probably would pick her. Thank you so much <laughs> for chatting with us today. Absolutely. Further thoughts. Yeah, one of the things that I think that's really interesting that comes up in this interview with Anna is the way that her stage presentation of femininity in her burlesque character um, actually made her feel over time like it was easier to embody that kind of femme identity offstage. She talks about having like the 90s queer girl haircut, <laughs> which is only slightly different than the uniform that we all have now, um, and, and kind of abandoning that the longer that she got to perform as Elsa and feeling much more comfortable and confident in that persona sort of on stage and off, which she thought was neat. Which right now I'm also thinking about, um, in our interview with Andrew J, we were talking about the performativity of femininity and this kind of larger-than-life uh, femme space, and almost like giving uh, life to that on stage, opening up that possibility for that kind of performativity to be something that can be really personal, um, and letting that be something that could seep into your daily life as it, as it uh, seep into your daily life. Um, the other thing that I picked up on with, with that end of that conversation is about representation, especially on stage, but just in general for folks that may be coming out now and uh, whether they're younger folks or people that are just discovering their own identities, seeing somebody who's like them can be a really powerful experience and having the sense of, I want to be read as a queer femme in part so that other queer femmes know that it's okay to be like this mm -hmm. and it's okay to present the way that we do. And I find that really um, a, a nice way of thinking about why it matters to be read as queer mm -hmm. because sometimes maybe it doesn't matter to me, but it might matter to somebody who's looking at me. Mm -hmm. And that feels like a kind of community-oriented way of thinking that I really want to cultivate for myself too. Yeah, and I think that comes up too in Anna's discussion a little bit of sort of media, right? Like, this is another conversation once we talk about the L word. <laughs> um, and, you know, we were asking these kinds of questions in our chat with her about like, well, that's all femmes and that's great. And it was super awesome at that time to see a whole bunch of femmes, even if they weren't exactly like us, right? Um, but to have that out there in the world. But there were like no butches mm -hmm. in that world. And so you, you have to wonder, well, what happens to that sort of identity position or that way of representing yourself if that isn't something that people can see? Mm -hmm. So all of those uh, spectrums of the way we choose to present ourselves in the world need to be out there because it matters to somebody else. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, you'll we'll hear this come up actually when we talk about pop culture and media as well and what it means to look for the kinds of people that you want to emulate. So... In thinking about the idea of age and wisdom and what we knew when we were younger versus what we know now, 
our action item for this episode is to ask you, what advice would you give your younger self? And if you have a young person in your life that maybe could benefit from that advice, share that with them and share it with us. So you all, of course, can always tweet at us. You'll use the hashtag Fems in action, and you can tweet at the both of us. I'm at Stevie Costa. And I'm at Trick Switch, and we can't wait to hear your advice. We could probably use it. Yep. Especially if you're older than us, and probably if you're younger than us, too. Yeah. I don't know. We're in our 30s, and we definitely don't know what we're doing. Definitely not. Please help. Our theme music is Arcade Montage by Lee Rosevere, which you can find on freemusicarchive.org.